My name's Lani and I came to London in 2011. Who am I? Okay, so I am a DJ. Uh, oh, I said that really weird. A DJ. <laughs> I am a DJ, a radio producer, a music producer, a creative, I suppose. Where was I born? I was born in County Antrim. I didn't spend very long there. I actually, I actually don't know how long I spent in County Antrim, but I was born there on an army camp. My dad was posted to Northern Ireland. And to be honest with you, I've not asked much because I know that we weren't there long. And then my parents divorced, so I never really asked anything pre-divorce, to be honest. All I know, I was physically born on the army base, not the hospital, because uh, I'm very impatient, with my four-year-old brother watching at the end of the bed, playing Lego. Luckily, my neighbour was a nurse. But I think she was a nurse. My dad cut my umbilical cord with the kitchen scissors and they popped me on the scales in the kitchen <laughs> to find out how much I weighed. And there was, there was a bit of a, a worry when they got me to the hospital because the weight that they weighed me at in the hospital was quite a bit less than what they weighed me in the kitchen. The very first couple of moments of me being in the hospital, I think there was quite a panic because they thought I'd kind of lost all of this weight. But I actually think the scales weren't kind of set right in the kitchen and I was fine. And to be honest with you, that's all I know about County Antrim, is that little ditty there. Both of my parents are from the northeast. I think when they were married, we went where my dad was posted. So I, I feel like from leaving Ireland to maybe being about four or five, we might have lived in Middle Wallet for a bit. I think we went to Arborfield for a bit. We had a couple of locations and then my mum and dad bought in Weymouth on the south coast. I actually don't know why they went there. I presume my dad was a keen windsurfer. My mum probably got a bit of work there. And they they kind of came off of living on army bases and went to their own little home in Weymouth. Yeah. I went to school in Weymouth. I started primary school in Weymouth, I should say. And then when I was seven or eight, we went back onto an army base in somewhere near Salisbury because I went to private school for a year. Uh, we went back onto the army base. I went into a private school uh, funded through the military or whatever. And then that was kind of when the divorce happened and I, I chose my side. <laughs> I'm joking. But I did. I, I realised that private school wasn't for me and I wanted to live back with my mum. So I went I went back to Weymouth when I was like eight or nine. So that's what I call my hometown. That's where I'd say like solidly from about eight to well, eighteen. That was that was my my hometown where I grew up. <laughs> I'm a South Coast Dorset girl. <laughs> I am. Well I was. I don't know if I am anymore. <laughs> Anybody that I speak to if I am in Weymouth, they will say I sound like I'm from London. I, I've had before people say that I sound northern, but I think that might have been when I was living up in Sunderland. People from around Sunderland say also that I sound like London. And then in London, they say I sound like the South. So it's, you know, it's a mixed bag. Whoever I'm speaking to, I must have. I know that when I speak to specific people, I do that. I can't remember the word for it. You know, when you like reflect an accent. And I can hear when I speak to different people, different elements of different accents or places that I've lived kind of comes out. 
It's very odd. When did I come to London? So I first came to London in 2011. I came here to do the acting and then lasted 10 months. Uh, my priorities all changed. I didn't want to be an actor anymore. I wanted to be a raver. <laughs> and I ran out of money. So I left after 10 months. I left uh, and I went to Southampton. And then I actually, I funnily enough, I went to Weymouth. So I went back to my mum's for, I don't know, I'm going to say four months. I didn't last there long. I didn't want to be there anyway. And then went to Southampton. I was in Southampton for, I'm going to say, five years. Then went to Sunderland, then came to London. I used to love singing. I used to love acting. I used to love it all. Like kind of the music, musical theatre, performance, performance art side of stuff. I absolutely used to love Disney. <laughs> I used to love everything about Disney. I was such a Disney kid. I can still remember the majority of the soundtracks and I'm sure at that age I would have had to dance them, you know. It must have been something to do with Disney. <laughs> I loved it. I think the idealistic view that I had of the, of going to drama school, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And obviously I'd found this massive love for dance music that really was nothing to do with the acting world. And this was quite new for me because for years before... I always wanted to do the acting. And then the year that I went to do that, I just absorbed myself in dance music and I really had a shift of kind of love, I suppose. And I went back to my mum's. I went back to my mum's in Weymouth. I needed to work. I think I needed to work the summer to get some money up to be able to kind of like have a deposit and, you know, get a flat. So I went back to Weymouth for a couple of months uh, but I, I hated that because I, funnily enough, from being quite a young teenager, I really wanted to spread my wings and do my own thing. I was quite an independent teenager. So the idea of not even being out of the nest, as they call it, or like away from home for more than a year going back. I mean, I, I, I look at it now and <laughs> I must have been so horrible to my mum because she's amazing. And she's such a lovely, kind, compassionate woman. But I was just adamant that, like, I wanted my own space. So, yeah, a, a couple of months being back home and I, 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 went, I went to Southampton. I moved in with, I moved in with my boyfriend of, of the time. Um, and I carried on raving every single weekend. And then I got offered a job from the job centre <laughs> at a call centre for a bank and it was uh, funnily enough it was really ironic but I was very self-conscious of being on the phone in front of people but when the job centre offer you a job you've got to take the job right because that's the rules <laughs> so I took this job in a call centre for a bank what was Weymouth like when I left it? Weymouth to me when I left was very a very tired town. I think as a creative, I always felt like there was nothing there for me. And that's why I left. I think that is another reason why from quite a young age, I wanted to spread my own wings and I wanted to come to the city. Um, me and a couple of friends all who all now work in the creative industries as well, 
they were exactly the same. It, you know, it didn't, for a young creative person, it really didn't have any prospect. And I think because of that, because Weymouth's a really beautiful town. It, you know, the beaches are stunning. In summer especially, it's just such a quaint and relaxing place to be. But being a young person that had interests that really weren't catered for, I look, I know that when I left Weymouth, I almost viewed it with this big fog around it and this big kind of rain cloud above it. And that's how I viewed it when I left. Describe Weymouth. What is Weymouth like? Weymouth is quiet in winter. No, actually, Weymouth is dead in winter. But Weymouth in summer is really vibrant. There's lots of people around. You've got, you know, little kiosks open on the beach selling buckets and spades. And there's donkeys walking around this beautiful beach where they import their sand from Spain. So it's spotless. So it's this is why it makes me laugh, because growing up in Weymouth, when any, anybody ever asks me where I'm from and I say, oh, I'm from Weymouth, first thing they'll say, oh, I've been there. <laughs> I guarantee you 80% of people I've met have been to Weymouth. And they, they'll all say, oh, isn't the beach lovely? Then I will tell them like, well, it is. But, do you know, it's not their sand. <laughs> That's why it's so lovely. <laughs> And it's beautiful sand. It makes for a beautiful beach. It's why it's, I think I think it's one of the top ten beaches in the UK, or at least it was at some point. That's just the main beach, right? Which most people who have been to Weymouth or heard of Weymouth or seen postcards of Weymouth, that's the beach that people refer to. But being a local in Weymouth, the thing that I used to love is like there are so many more little beaches at the ends of roads, and you know they're the beaches that I grew up grew up on and they're much quieter and it's full of locals and full of kids being a kid in Weymouth you go to that beach every day in summer every day you're up with your jellies on and your packed sandwich waiting to go to the beach and you'll spend all day there uh, it was a, it was it was the most glorious place to grow up it really was which is why it's quite sad when I got older that I kind of didn't couldn't see that well you get you, you take it for granted right you, you take the beauty for granted, but I'm quite lucky because I went back in lockdown and I managed to, I think that was a very different time as well. So everything was, nothing was happening and it was a very reflective time, but I kind of then I realised how beautiful Weymouth was. What is my biggest memory of Weymouth? Oof. <laughs> I mean, for me, because I spent like my formative years there it's being up the node fort with a group of my mates pulling on all night drinking cider by a tree like because that's what you did as a country bumpkin kid you just found a bit of green space and you convinced one of your parents that the other parents let you drink and you got a bottle of cider between six of you and played music from a phone in a cup and do you know what? It was glorious. It was glorious because I think if you did it anywhere else in the country, and people probably did, it might not have been as glorious, but you're doing that, looking out, like the Noth Fort is a massive green space and it's right on a, a bank which takes you onto the sea. So you're looking out at like 
a, an expanse of sea and a beautiful untouched sky full of stars and you know you can see the Isle of Portland's all lit up and, and of and of course being very small so so maybe like the the first time I was in Weymouth like the you know when I was about six and seven I ha- I do have some hazy memories of being at the beach every single day you know every every day in summer so 2018, I came back to London. I basically tied my love for raving and for dance music and thought, how can I make this a career? I didn't make music at the time. I didn't DJ at the time. I didn't even ever consider actual music as a viable path, but I had a friend that worked in radio. So I kind of had this light bulb moment of, I could at some point, hopefully work, you know, on the Radio 1 dance shows. So I'm just going to go for it. I went to uni, I did a media course. I did that for three years. I took every single job opportunity for free. Obviously, I wasn't getting paid for any of them that I could. I basically wasn't getting any work, so I just kept studying. So I did I did a master's up in Sunderland because student finance started funding master's. And I did that in radio and then came to London on a three-week unpaid internship in a company that was making dance music radio. Was I expecting anything of London before I arrived? I think I was expecting opportunities in the creative industries, and that's absolutely what I came for, were those opportunities. And actually through my journey out of London and kind of around the country and back I definitely wasn't alone in that kind of view it was like London is where you come London is where things happen and you know opportunities are there so I think that was that was the main thing can I remember my first few days or weeks in London so I was 19 I came to an acting school I don't know if it's still around, but it was called the Courtyard Theatre Centre. It had just been taken over by West London University, but it was nowhere near the campus. To be honest with you, I had no interaction with the university whatsoever. This little acting school, it was off the corner of Hoxton Square and it was in a basement and it had two rooms and a bar. It took me about two years of auditioning around kind of acting colleges, drama schools to get in. Yeah, and I was very excited. I'd managed to find a ex-council private rental that was literally opposite Hoxton Square. It was like 120 each a week, not including bills. This two-bed, two-bed flat, I... I think my mum, my mum or my dad took me up with like all my stuff because obviously I had somewhere to live. So we were, you know, were moving me in and it was all very exciting, really exciting. Yeah. But when I look back, I did not explore London at all. And there was there was two elements of it. One was at the weekend I wasn't there. But the other element, which I very clearly distinctly remember is my money was so tight that I remember trying to go to the pub in the first couple of weeks of getting there and turning around at the bar and coming home because I come from a small seaside town where 
I could probably go out on 20 quid. 20 quid for an evening, right? I could probably eat. I could get a couple of drinks. You know, I could probably tip the barman with that. And I remember going to a, a bar on Hoxton Square and getting a glass of wine and them asking me for £7 for a small glass of wine and me thinking, I haven't got that money. Like, I haven't got that money spare. I need that for my rent. So other than Brick Lane Market, which, because obviously that was quite near where I lived, I would go there on a Sunday and get the little free food that they gave out, which you meant to obviously buy after, but I absolutely couldn't buy after. Other than that, I really did not explore London at all. Like, at all. (laughs) So I think... (laughs) I think there was two kind of elements of what happened when I was there. One was I very quickly found out that to be an actor was a lot more than kind of escapism and acting, which I think is what I loved about the art. And there was there was very much more, it felt more like training for a sport. Like there was, you know, we had classes on nutrition and mindfulness and and physical activity and and all of these kind of elements that I hadn't been involved in prior to this and also the year that I went was kind of the year where I was raving every single weekend I mean I would leave London Friday at 5 p.m when I was out of there I would rave up and down the country in like Milton Keynes and Swindon and Bristol for days. And I would just make it back to London at like 4 to 6am on a Monday to go into my acting training, which was was also, so it it was a degree course, but it was a two years intensive course. So it was kind of pushed into the, you know, five, five full days. The two lifestyles did not, it, it did not go together. I wish they did because I would have loved to do both. But, you know, it took about 10 months and a couple of my tutors at the time kind of pulling me to one side and saying, I'm really worried about you. And I used to hate that. I used to hate that sentence. I got it quite a lot growing up. And it usually meant they were onto me doing something that I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and I think this is the thing. I wasn't working at the weekend because I was going out, right? Like, I was going out, out. I, and and in the week, I was either catching up on sleep because I didn't sleep over the weekend or I was in acting training. So, you know, my money, even though I saved a lot to move to London because I knew it was going to be so expensive, I think it's 10 months and I was out of money. It, I think it was quite a reality shock. How does London compare to Weymouth? I mean... London is uncomparable to Weymouth. They are polar opposites in all aspects, I would say. I tell my friends from Weymouth that London is like an adult's playground. It's like a 24-hour adult's playground. Just even things like, if I'm hungry at 11 o'clock at night, I can go to a corner shop and it's going to be open. You know, in Weymouth, okay. There may be now, you may have a 24-hour Tesco. You're going to have to travel to it, though. You're going to be lucky if you can walk to it. But certainly when I was younger, there weren't 24-hour shops. Shops close at nine, you know. 
And that we're just talking about shops here. I haven't even got onto culture. Like, I don't want to say there's no culture in Weymouth because that's... I felt like there wasn't, though. You know, there's there's no really good nightclubs. And anyone from Weymouth will say that. There are, there are commercialised clubs, like your Yates or your Pop World, which are all right for some. But, you know, being a massive music head, like, they were not OK for me. <laughs> Probably still weren't. But, you know, if you're in Weymouth and you want to go to a, a night, you're going to have to travel. You know, you can't just... You can't just go for a night out. You are having to travel. So then you're talking about getting a train. You're talking about getting a hotel because when the club kicks out at four in the morning, you're not in London. There isn't such thing as 24-hour transport. You're two hours away from home in the middle of nowhere. So you either sit at a train station freezing cold, which many do, till the first train to take you back, which is hours later, or you're having to like really fork out to, to, to have a good night and know that you can have somewhere to go when when the club kicks out. So going back to what you asked of how, how would I compare them, I just don't think you can. Like, Weymouth is a seaside town that is stunning, and all of the great elements about Weymouth are probably more about the open space and the nature and the... The memories that you will create with people, you know, on a beach. Beaches are magical places. Everyone's happy on the beach, you know? And London, you mean you don't have beaches, but you have, but you do. But but this is the funny thing about it is you've got everything else. You've got culture, you've got art, you've got music. I mean, even work. I remember the first job that I had out of school and out of the restaurant that I'd been working at during college and stuff I worked on Condor Ferries which is very much a seasonal job you know you get employed through summer and there was a big crew of us there and you know everyone else would just travel in winter because there was nothing in Weymouth for them so they'd work as, as much as they could in summer travel all over the world in winter and come back to Condor in the summer and like that's just like exactly how I felt saw Weymouth in summer it was great and the rest of the time there's a lot of people that work in care down there obviously care is a 24 7 365 day job right but for other industries especially creative ones that it's or just even like you know hospitality you definitely get a job in hospitality in summer but they're not going to need you in winter there's no one there (laughs) so yeah they're very different they are very different Is there anything from Weymouth that I really miss? I miss the beach. Like, it just goes without saying. I miss going down to the beach, like one of the local beaches, at 4pm in summer and going for a swim when the tide is flat and the sun is like, or like maybe 6, maybe 6pm, when the sun's starting to set and you've just got the most glorious sunset and it's calm and there's people around but it's not busy it's never feels busy especially at the local beaches at that time and that kind of that really does stuff for you know your mental health and if you've had a stressful day and you go for a swim for half an hour in that setting 
you're just you're just completely reset completely it's amazing what nature can do <laughs> have i experienced anything that made me regret coming here i don't i i don't think so i mean there's always the the issue of how expensive london is or how you're going to get pickpocketed in london but i think that's because i know that like i've been pickpocketed like twice this year and it's just yeah it's not great in the moment but i just take it on it's a given right i live in london i'm walking through soho at two in the morning i've put my phone in my pocket it's my fault because i'm living in a city i live in a guardianship and i do that because quite frankly i just don't know how i'd pay normal rent and still have a nice quality of life so i choose to live in a guardianship where um obviously it's cheaper but you're not a tenant you haven't got tenants rights so if your heating goes off for two months you haven't got heating for two months there's no body that you can go and speak to but again i I suppose the guardianship thing I choose. So, you know, I can't complain about that. But these are just aspects of living in London and getting by. But it's never made me think this is right. I shouldn't be doing this. What do I do here? I am a DJ, a radio producer, and I worked on Annie Nightingale's show as an assistant producer on the Radio One dance shows. So I would find music that I thought she'd love. Actually, I remember her telling me that she really loved my taste of music and can I keep sending her music? And I mean, I will never forget that moment. Come on, Annie Nightingale tells you that basically she loves she she loves your taste of music. I felt like I'd won life. I'm not even going to lie. I was like, well, that's a box tick that I didn't even know I needed ticking. So, yeah. Um, I'd find music for her. Uh, I would, um, if Juliet was off and who was her producer when I was working on her show, I would record with her. Um, I'd edit, edit the audio from her show and stuff. Annie Nightingale was incredible. I found her so inspirational. Obviously, I'm a woman that works in broadcasting right to have the opportunity for the last couple of years to work with Annie was very inspirational she's a very inspirational woman you know she did so much for bass music as well and being a drum and bass head I just yeah I, I feel very humbled to have worked with her definitely I really knew really early on I wanted to do something in dance music I don't think at the time I thought I could do anything in it because just because the numbers of women working in that industry aren't a, f a few right or definitely were then I know it, and it is it definitely is changing now kind of how many women are working in as music producers and in production roles and DJing and and all of that but I definitely feel like the the lack of female representation for many years never I never thought it was a viable option for me I've had weird people try to book me, book me for weird events that I don't even know whether are real. There was a time in lockdown where this guy was trying to book me and he was like, yeah, it's, it's an all-ladies event. And I was like, okay. Felt a little bit creepy at the time. So I was already kind of questioning everything. Just, I don't know, there was a lot of weirdness about it. 
yeah, I just stopped replying because I was like, I don't feel... Maybe if I was a guy in that situation, I would have just carried on with it, right? Because I've got nothing to worry about. But I definitely know in that situation, I felt very uncomfortable. I didn't even feel like this was, like this was a real thing. There's probably things that I've just brushed off as well. But, I, you know, because you do, right? You just get on with it. And, and especially, I think <laughs> I find it funny because I work in an industry that there's a lot of alcohol involved. And I think a lot of the time, comments and stuff, I'm very easy to just think to myself, oh, just ignore them, they've been drinking. Like the male ego is coming out or or something along the lines of. But if you really, really unpicked it, yeah, if you really unpicked it, it probably could be more than that. But I think, yeah, I I am fortunate. I've not had too much kind of issues. Yeah. Would I be the same person today if I hadn't made the journey? No. London has changed me for the better and it's changed me in all the ways that I've wanted all the the person who I wanted to be this person that was you know working so hard in the day and still being able to go out and club in the middle of the week or go to the pub and network and be in this bubble of creative people that were all kind of really working towards goals like real goals and like doing amazing things I always wanted that and for some reason when I didn't live in London I did not feel like I could ever be part of that and it, yeah it, it, it's it's really interesting but and I'm so glad I'm so glad I moved to London and I did it because specifically for the creative arts it, it's it's a really special place I feel sorry for people that don't live in London. Like, we we were in Sunderland together and it's really hard because I'll speak to people that were in Sunderland with me at the time who, they don't want to leave Sunderland, right? They That's where they're from or they're from near there. That's their home. But they're so great. Like, they are such good creative professionals. But there's the work's not there, you know? So... And they, they they, can't, I'm sure that they would love to be doing what I'm doing in terms of like the people that I speak to daily and, and, and be in that hubbub of people. And it's not there, unfortunately. There's a, there's a hell of a long way to go for people like that, to, for them to have the same experiences. So yeah, I'm, I, feel, I feel very fortunate for coming here. And I think this city's got a hell of a lot to offer people like me. What's good about this city? The travel is amazing in London. Yeah. To be able to get on a bus for an hour, I can go anywhere that I want to go in London in an hour and it costs me, what is it at the minute, pound eighty-five. Do you know, in Weymouth, when I go home to Weymouth and I've had a drink because I've gone to the pub so I'm not driving and I want to go from town to my mum's, which is, I don't know, I'm going to say a mile and a half, I'm paying... Two, three quid. And that's just one, or like two pound, no, probably 250 one way. London's a big place, but you can travel so far and, you know, there's for cheap is very good. And obviously on top of that, you know, you've got places to go where you're not paying. You can go to galleries, you can go to the parks, you can, you know, I'm sure you'd be able to find, with a scan on Eventbrite or something like that, a multitude of free events. Or even if not, go to Trafalgar Square. 
you'll find somebody performing on the street, you know, I, or, or like when I first came here for the first time, go to a market. doesn't matter if you can't buy anything. Walk around, get the free food they give you on the sticks. <laughs> what isn't good about London? I mean, it's the classic, isn't it? Like the private housing situation of... Well, I mean, but probably any housing situation in Lumsden, unless you've got a hell of a lot of money. But I've only kind of got experience of the rental in London. I mean, it's just, it's just absurd. Like, actually absurd. Um, I feel very fortunate that I'm in a guardianship. But even those, like, when I first had the guardianship, like, what was that now, four or five years ago, you, you know, you have to prove that you work in the UK, you're working, you've got income, a couple of little checks. Now it's crazy. You've got to prove that you, like, earn over a certain amount of money. And some some of them only take on certain professions. But it's because they've got this influx of people that can't afford... They're working in the city, they're working professionals, and they're just trying to do their best. But, you know, if they went and lived in private accommodation... I'm going to say 60, 70% of their money is going in someone else's pocket. And it's it's horrific. As a, as a person that's really committed to this city in terms of, like, I love it here. Um, I love the creative industry here. I really want to kind of, like, develop develop as a creative here and, and give back to the city in terms of, like, you know, putting on events and and all of that kind of stuff... The thing that is scary is I can't plan my future here because I can't afford it, right? So I'm working it every day. I'm here every day. I'm I'm paying, um, you know, I'm paying my tax and I'm I'm supporting local businesses and stuff. But ultimately, my biggest worry and my biggest concern is when does that ticking time bomb go off for me? You know, is it if I've, you know, I'm a woman in my 30s, so I'm sure if I fell pregnant any time, what do I do then? I can't, I probably can't, well, I definitely can't afford to get a, a one bed. Like, I just can't do it. it. I would then be going on maternity. I'd be on statutory maternity. It's, it's not going to work. I can't have a, a child in the guardianship because it's illegal, because it's illegal to have anyone under the age of 18. I'd probably, at that point, I don't know if that's when I'd look at, going council but I can't do that because you have to live in a certain borough for four years so at that point I'm probably going to have to completely upheaval my life and go back down to Weymouth like there's elements of that and I know that that's a that's a what-if scenario right but that that is a really real what-if scenario that I've thought of a hell of a lot is that when my life in London ends and that would be really sad because I'm a really career-driven woman. And then it's like, why am I having to make a decision of being a mum, which if that opportunity came around, I'm sure I would be so elated. At that moment, am I having to think, it's having a child, I'm moving out of the city, or not having that child and making that choice not to have a child, which I doubt is going to be a very easy choice at all, you know, to keep my job. And live in the city. My favourite thing to do in the city. Oh, that's a tough one. I, I mean, the, the real one is clubbing. And the, the London clubbing is great. Like, it's fantastic. We've got amazing clubs here. But I think because the clubbing scene in general is just taking a hit. 
there's not a lot of venues anymore. But I think the ones that, that are around and event planners that, that do stuff there do still manage to do, to get events over the line and break even or whatever. But I mean, I do also like, obviously I love, I just love exploring London. Like if I've got time, um, I've got this, I've actually got this really cool subscription. I don't know if you've ever heard it called Bucked, which is, it's, uh, it's very new. So it's like Bucket without the E and it's quite a new company and you pay a subscription every month and they give you five mystery activities. And, you know, it's great. So it could be like a comedy night on a barge in Battersea or it could be like freehand embroidery in the arse end of Hackney in a community centre or you could be doing like a meditation class. Like I went to the F1 arcade the other day. It's incredible. And, you know, I think exploring London because of the variety of things that happen here is incredible. Do I miss anything about London when I'm not here? I mean, if I'm going back to Weymouth, clubs, because there are no clubs in Weymouth that I like going to anyway. I think if you look at the UK for clubs, the cities are fine. Everywhere outside of the cities are not. Venues outside of cities that don't understand dance music still, it still baffles me, have such a prejudice about genres. Like, I, I will, there's I, countless times I get booked for events that are happening outside of a city, for, and, but I mix drum and bass, and the owner will, of a pub will get wind that it's drum and bass, and no longer are they allowed to do it. I mean, this is a genre that's in the top 40s, okay? And I know that's a recent thing, but you're talking about music, like, but is this is a real thing. You know, there's no wonder people put a sound system in, in the middle of a field still, even though they shouldn't be. But it's because they're not supported to do it anywhere else. Where can I get the best food in London? That's more tough because I don't eat out often in London. <laughs> so if I was looking for the best food in London, I mean, I can't afford the best food in London. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> I know where the best food is, but I'm not going to be there. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that one. I am mayor for the day. What will I change? I do. I mean, it would have to come back to it would have to come back to that private rental market. I don't know how. I don't know what it, I would do, but enforce something that that makes it affordable. Find a system or find some hope for the working professionals. Now, this is really this is really funny because going back to the Annie Nightingale thing, she lived in West London and I lived in West London, and I know that one thing that she always said was. Buying her house in West London was like the best investment that she ever made. But that is one thing that working in the city, you know, I'm not the same calibre of her at all, but I'm working, you know, in, in the same building that she worked in for years. You know, she was once me, effectively, but that's one thing that I feel like I could never aspire to think is, oh, I'll buy now. I'd love to. Like, that would be the dream, but I genuinely don't think it will ever be, unfortunately, ever be a thing for my working career. So it's not something that I will try and aspire to because there's no point. There's no point living on false hope. <laughs> on that cheery note. <laughs> right, let me pause this.
And that's it for this episode of I Came to London. Join us again next time for more stories from the people who make London. London.